0: Here, there, and everywhere. SAFM, one oh four point five FM in Haute Bay
1: thank you very much for staying with us uh, you are on Life Happens, my name is Pimelo Modena, we're together until three now in this half hour, we're taking a closer look into Alex we've seen it for a while now, it's not a new thing, Alex has had spatial planning problems Alex is a place that we all know is extremely overcrowded and the complexities of its you know, demarcation, complexities of its proximity to Santon of course, this is not the only township with its kind of problems but if we take a closer look into Santon and what's going on there maybe we can use this as a case study to try and solve many other problems so we're going to be speaking to Professor Evan Turok who is Executive Director at the HSRC to look at how we can deal with the issue of space in Alex moving people is a difficult thing right moving people is a very very difficult thing and, and part of moving people being an issue is that you're not just move it's not a thing. It people. People have lives. People have got connectivity. People have got their history. People have got Um, reasons why they're there but of course alex is also very close to a city and a town that feeds many south africans right where there is economic it's like an economic hub Santon being that place so what is it that we're going to have to do to sort out the issues in in alex how are we going to deal with the fact that alex residents have every right to be in a place where they can access jobs, have every right to be in a place where they can access opportunities, and so on. That proximity, like you and me, is a right that they have. So the idea that you can just sort of lift them out of Santon and get rid of them is not quite something that I think is doable. But Professor Ivan Turok is now joining me on the line to unpack it all. Thank you very much for joining us, Prof. Thank you. Thanks very much. So we've seen Alex being, as I said, a political football. Alex is very complex. Its proximity is 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 obviously one of the reasons we have the kind of issues that we have in Santon. You, if you were put in government or you were a mayor or you were somebody who could fix Alex, where would you begin?
2: Uh, thanks. thanks a lot. That's a, that's a tough question. Let me just take one step back before we get to that. I think a little bit of historical perspective is really important. Places like Alex, right, have a legacy of poorly serviced um, settlements. Inadequate infrastructure, schools, clinics, transport facilities, no economic base, right? So there's a terrible legacy here for the past of apartheid. And since then, there's been massive growth uh, because of the opportunities presented by places like like Alex. Huge numbers of people moved in there, leading to uh, an immense overcrowding, backyarding, occupation of any vacant land that's available, putting immense pressure on the services and infrastructure of the place. So the, the challenges are pretty formidable and are wide-ranging in scope. And the social fabric, I mean, that's another feature of the pressure on a place like Alex, that the pressure on the community is enormous from uh, the sheer numbers of people and the diversity of the population leading to all sorts of social challenges like crime, and a dumping of waste, and a, a kind of disorder in relation to rules and regulations governing settlements of this kind. So, so where do you start? I think the first thing is, uh, I would say, to try to rebuild trust with the community. Mm-hmm. Right? We've got to do. We've got to try and govern places like Alex differently. We can't just apply formal rules and regulations and enforce the rule of law without really engaging uh, the community more effectively. Mm -hmm. This has been a a big source of problem. There's a lack of trust with the community. Government goes in there with big boots,
1: Very interesting point you raise there, Prof. Because you know you speak of organize, organized kind of community and leadership and so on. It wasn't so long ago that we had a, a group of an organized—I don't know what they were calling themselves. I don't remember now. But there was a group that tried to manage the issue of RDP homes being given to people who are not of South African, uh, who are not South African citizens, and that was organized by community people it was yes. it was by the communities that managing that whole situation was fairly organized
2: yes we do we want these bodies they need to be representative of course we need to be careful of of sort of self-elected leaders who ah. uh, focus on a narrow agenda for a particular section of a community so mm-hmm. we want representative bodies that can themselves engage with each other and try and build a kind of consensus right so that uh, these, these tensions within the community can be addressed more seriously. And so, I think we don't give enough attention to this kind of community organization as a starting point. It's not enough in itself. Of course, it's just one of the elements that we can discuss further, and we can discuss some of those other elements too, if you like. But the foundation must be sort of a, a, a reasonably stable um, organization within the community mm-hmm. that government can engage with seriously.
1: You know, one of the things that I thought was quite interesting when there was that issue with the RDP homes was the, the, the sense that people this misconception that people have about, you know, people uh in who are homeless or people in Alex, for instance, are lawless. You know, there's lawlessness in Alex. And when you look at very closely into the issue, you found people saying, No, um, we know there has been corruption in allocation of RDP homes for instance while they sort that out because we've been complaining why don't we just get people out of these homes and in the meantime leave them empty what fascinates me about that story is that in as much as Alex is surrounded by homeless people and people who are living in backyard shacks and so on nobody occupied those homes they were left empty in other words there was this need for law enforcement to come in and correct the situation and and almost begging for somebody to come with authority, with leadership to come and help the situation.
2: Yes. Um, I, I'm sure that in, in some situations this, these kinds of interventions are required, but this is clearly not really solving the problem, mm. is it? Mm. It's, it's tackling a particular aspect of it, um, we need a kind of much more comprehensive agenda here mm. that's, that's, that's not just focused on, on a, a particular aspect of it. You know, we, 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 the problems are multifaceted mm. and they have deep-seated roots. The suspicion people have needs to be addressed. They need to, people need to have confidence that the various issues in Alex are being tackled so that there's a kind of element of trust being built up and they don't... Uh, immediately challenge any new initiative that's being taken,
0: uh, often falsely. You know, building
2: housing is important. Mm. Uh, People must have confidence, though, that the whole process is proceeding in a way that's credible and legitimate, I think. Mm.
1: You've had some ideas where you were saying, for instance, instead of criminalizing what is already happening, you know, having these structures in the back of people's homes, one could maybe look at building them and maybe securing them better or maybe, you know, giving them a facelift or, or doing it better than it really is rather than going to start um, building RDP houses far away from where they want to be. How would you go about doing that?
0: Um,
2: I think the, uh, 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 the you know, there's a n- number of aspects to that. The first is, is finding land, of course, finding land for additional housing. That's really important in many of our townships uh, including Alex the sheer population pressure means that we've got to try and relieve that pressure by allowing places to expand where there are opportunities there and I think when it comes to 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 building housing it's not just an RDP uh, approach that's required because there will never be enough resources to accommodate all the people living in shacks within uh, their own uh, new housing government housing so we have to have a multi-pronged approach including Efforts to help improve backyard structures, right? To to regularise uh, shacks in backyards and enable people themselves, the owners of these RDP properties, to invest and develop uh, the backyard structures to accommodate more people in decent conditions. Uh, we've got to create uh, certain service schemes as well for for people to build their own houses. So I think it's it's you know as I say it's a, it's, a, it's a multiple uh, strategy here. That's required. And of course, underlying all of it is the question of, of, of trust, that people trust the processes of allocation of housing, of land, of sites and so on, so that uh, these things are not undermined repeatedly by people challenging what's happening. Otherwise, you have a stalemate, and I think that's uh, a part of the problem in Alex, is a stalemate because people don't uh, are, are so mistrustful of any new initiative that they don't believe that it's being taken in the best interests of the community. And they're nervous that particular groups are winning out and others are losing. And so the whole system, you know, it gets it's kind of into a kind of gridlock situation.
1: So... One of the things that you and I would never be in control of is the influx of people. So we may maybe deal with the structures that we have currently and maybe fixing those, making those uh, more secure and so on. But the number of people looking to come into Alex, that's something that's out of our control. How would we manage that?
2: Yeah, that's a a really important question. And I think, again, it's, it's several responses. I think the first one is, we, we do want the community to exercise some influence over, over new land uh, occupation. So, where land has been set aside for new housing or for schools or fire stations or peace stations, we want the community to help government to you know, stop people occupying inappropriate land for settlement. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is government has to take this whole process of urbanization more seriously. Mm and not just to to work with existing townships but also to identify new areas for settlement right so that people aren't forced into existing townships like alex but have other options other opportunities to settle within the cities because this is a this is an a, a inevitable and in many ways a good thing urbanization people are moving closer to opportunities and they should be enabled
1: the scenario of opportunities being near a a booming city so does that mean that you know as the president dreamt of that city we need to be dreaming with him because there is one santon and 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 moving people from away from santon doesn't quite solve the problem you may be finding them land but they want to be close to santon
2: yeah now that's very important i'm I'm nervous of the idea of the news of the new city because I think that's a very, very long-term mm. uh, plan, apart from anything else. I think we've got to find uh, well-located land, not on the edge of the city, but, mm. but, but closer to, at the very least, closer to transport infrastructure. Right. So that, although it may not be within the shadow of Santon uh, or the CBD, it may be along a transport corridor that enables people to use uh, public transport to access those opportunities within... Uh, you know, half an hour or an hour of, of of a commuting time. That would be a reasonable approach. And in fact, there is in all of our cities. That there are lots of opportunities of underused and, and vacant land, often in public ownership. And I think this is a, a, an exciting agenda of the of the new government that they're looking for you to use public sector land in the first instance for for uh, for housing.
1: Prof, why hasn't there been more pressure on private developers? to accommodate the working class to live alongside the people they're working for in other words if you're putting up a new building and you're going to be putting up this expensive uh, complex why don't you accommodate the living quarters for people who will be working will be working in the building for argument's sake so that this issue of transport, this issue of access is eased by how we build our current and new modern buildings and in, in allowing some more space. Is it just a mindset of South Africans that we just really don't want to share? Uh, are we really that segregated as a people that we just don't want to live side by side with people who are maybe lesser? Again, an excellent
2: point you're making here and i think there is uh, some truth in what you say that there is a resistance to to what what's people around the world called inclusionary housing mm. where basically uh, private developments incorporate a share of affordable housing within them uh, maybe 20% 30% depending on the on the profitability of the development mm. right there's a kind of cross subsidization So I think it's not a foregone conclusion that this is uh, a, an easy agenda, but I think it's really important uh, for, for the reason that you, that you and I have outlined <laughs> that we start working on this on this more seriously. And in fact, government should be uh, taking the initiative here and encouraging cities to explore the possibilities here.
1: But proper, I mean. If we all, if we all had, if we were all invested in this, 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 this cost would not, would not only just be falling on the developer side. Surely, if I'm building, uh, if I'm buying a unit, you know, uh, either in a high-rise building or whatever it is that's nice and fancy, alongside my unit, I would like to maybe find space for the domestic worker who's going to be helping me out. So the costs should be sitting with me, the one who's buying, not necessarily just sitting with the developer.
2: Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Yes, there's a real element of self-interest here yeah. that employers will benefit from having their employees, not just yes. families with domestic workers, but businesses, yes. right, with their, with their, uh, particularly their lower-paid workers, mm. their uh, safety, their uh, cleaning workers, their mm. uh, support staff living close by will be a, a real benefit because your workers will be more, you know, come to work on time. Mm-hmm. Putting it bluntly, right, mm-hmm. uh, there will be less ants and them and so on. So. I think this is a really important agenda that we have done very little about in the country. And I think it really does cry out for attention. A shared responsibility for, for integration, spatial integration, social inclusion, not just putting it all on government, not just dumping on the private development, development sector. We'll uh, look- it would be a really good conversation for us to launch in this country.
1: Okay, the spotlight this afternoon is on Alex, and obviously this conversation is not only around Alex, we're talking about spatial planning, we're talking about how we're going to manage this need for space, urban spaces and so on, and then how, perhaps looking at Alex as an example, we're going to be able to model this around the country. And uh, my guest is Professor Ivan Torok, Executive uh, Director at the HSRC, and we continue this conversation in a minute.
0: Life life happens with female
1: we're discussing spatial planning. We're discussing the need for land. And uh, we often lo- talk about land and we think about rural land. But in this case, we're looking at uh, urban land and that desperate need for land closer to the city, closer to where there is opportunities and so on. And I'd love you to take part in this conversation. 89 is the number to dial. And my guest is Professor Ivan uh, Churok, who is from the HSRC, a director of economic uh, performance and development. And, uh, and we are looking at perhaps this specific case, Alex. So, Prof, we, we, we've discussed a little bit of, of how we, me and you and, and, you know, big business can perhaps maybe add value in this conversation. When we look at the current infrastructure and, and its capacity... We now know that it's it's just not possible. It's not possible for the current infrastructure that we have to service the number of people, for instance, in Alex. We also know that it's not easy or it's not even very cheap to replace this infrastructure. What do we do now? What do we do in the immediate future?
2: Yeah, that's it really important um, I think we have to prioritize is the first point we have to identify which an- elements of the infrastructure are uh, overloaded and are breaking down because actually what you what you find is that in places like Alex uh, government is spending uh, quite a lot of money on kind of putting out fires mm. putting it simply mm. addressing sewage spillages mm. addressing blocked drains mm. uh, addressing rubbish that's dumped Legally on uh, key sites, so it's it's actually spending a lot of operational money uh, from those rec- recurring budgets, rather than sorting out the root causes of the problem and putting in bigger infrastructure. Uh, I, I did a study recently in, in a township which found that uh, the city the city was spending a million rand a month on clearing the drains, jetting the drains right because of overloaded running through them uh, when it would only cost three million to replace the drain with a larger a larger uh, uh, pipe
1: so so why is this
2: throughout the system right that we we're spending short term we're having a short-term approach rather than a longer-term approach of replacing the infrastructure with a more uh, a larger pipe
1: then prof I mean this to me is not rocket science why do you think it's not happening
2: it's not happening because government is is working in a short-term mindset to deal with these problems it's it's responding through firefighting approach rather than through a more considered approach it's also working in silos rather than treating a place like alex uh, in an integrated way right so you've your sanitation department your water electricity they're all doing their own thing and uh, intervening in a fragmented ad-hoc is consulted on one, uh, one agenda rather than you know, separate things which are much more, if you do things you in a fragmented way, it's more expensive and it's more time-consuming, it's slower, it's more complicated.
1: But, you know, isn't that exactly what the responsibility of local government is, the municipalities to pull all these things together and then make sure that everybody works together?
2: You know, mm-hmm. the SEPs, the police force, must be uh, accountable to and work alongside other parts.
1: are a waste of time in your work, in your in the time that you've spent engaging these these issues? Because for me it, it really, I, I don't get it. I hear what you're saying, but I don't get then what's the role of a mayor, what's the role of a ward councillor. Surely they're the people who should be the conduit from the community to making sure that government works together for this particular space. It's,
0: you yeah, know,
2: quite right. It? Ward yeah. councillors have a vital role to play. Of course they vary in their in effectiveness, in their capabilities. Mm. Mm. Uh, But in principle, ward councillors play a vital role in the voice of the community. We can't expect them to be, you know, completely uh, uh, solve the problems themselves, but they play a vital role. And they need to be empowered Mm -hmm. to do their job properly. That means they need to have access to uh, uh, the municipality as a whole. Uh, The community need to have confidence in them. Mm -hmm. So they need to be properly selected, right, so the community regard them as legitimate and not as... A, a deployed cater of a particular political party, right, mm-hmm. um, and have suspicions about why they're there. Uh, so there are whole lots of issues around the accountability of the ward councillor and about the relationship of the ward councillor to the municipality mm-hmm. that really need to be clarified because there are some problems there.
1: Let's go to Sydney in Durban. Sydney, you've got a comment, hi?
0: I think it's a very good idea that um, that buildings can be built closer to where people work, you mm-hmm. know, but I think it's a class situation where class distinction gets into play, where an employer wouldn't want to live next to where the employee lives because mm-hmm. of the class situation. Like where The way people behave on weekends, the noise, the breaking of bottles, the beer, the fighting, and all the, those types of things. The lifestyle that people live after work is what I think is repulsive to many people who may want to live alongside with their employees. I mean, that's my true sense worth in this. In the interest of time, I'd leave it there.
1: Sydney, hmm, it's a, it's a it's a very uncomfortable point, isn't it, Prof? Because we alluded to this. It's it's ideal, but it's 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 an it's a sensitive one, and it's also about culture. It's about what you know, what works for me doesn't work for you, and all of that. It is a classist issue.
2: It, it is, and we're we're a very unequal society mm-hmm. with with massive uh, differences between between groups and classes. Uh, but unless we start breaking it down. You know, and working on on, on living together better. Uh, you know, it's not. So it's a really recipe for for defeatism. I think that, you know the way forward for our society must be to address these uh, barriers, these misunderstandings, and so on, and to and to find ways of living together. It's. I should also say that there's a lot of misunderstanding and fear here, mm. which is not justified. Mm. Right. So there are cliches, there mm. are prejudices that are not justified often, and so. You know, we have to address these issues. We have to find ways of uh, people in different classes, in different groups, uh, uh, getting to know each other uh, and meeting and mixing and mingling and, and breaking down some of these artificial barriers as a way forward. And I think, you know, if you think about things like public transport, if you think about the public spaces, the parks in our cities, places where we can, we see already evidence of social mixing, Um, I think this is a sort of very big part of this progressive agenda, that we need to promote our public spaces in order to uh, create the opportunities for people to to build uh, better relationships across across these different uh, uh, parts of society.
1: I've got one last question for you and it's a quick one. To what extent has political interference and politicking and so on been actually part of the reason we're not moving ahead?
2: Uh, it, it's very very hard to say. I think there has um, there are suspicions about these things, but uh, and I think this inquiry, the hearings in Alex, will help to bring out the evidence on this. Mm. Um, I, I personally don't have direct evidence yeah. uh, that this is a, a, a big problem, but I look forward to hearing what the uh, current investigation comes out with in this respect. Well, we-
1: I mean, you spoke a little bit earlier about you would have to gain trust if you had to begin somewhere, uh, gaining trust. Is that the biggest issue here, the, the trust between the community and government? Do you think that is the major stumbling block here? I think it's it's
2: it's it's probably the biggest single issue, but it's certainly not the only one. Mm. Um, trust is a massive problem. People don't believe the government will take townships seriously, for example. Mm. They see the suburbs being privileged in access to public services. They feel the government hasn't taken the legacy of apartheid seriously enough. Mm. They are mistrustful. And we see this in relation to xenophobia, for example. They blame other, they're looking for all sorts of other uh, symptoms of the problem rather than um, having confidence that the, you know, the, the real heart of the problem is being, being addressed. So I think government needs to take townships more seriously as a sort of general point.
1: Really appreciate the time there, uh, Professor Ivan Turok, who is Executive Director uh, of Economic Performance and Development at the Human Sciences Research Council. We've got a voice note as well here.
0: Hi, Premier it's Emmanuel from Midbank. I've been in Alexander for more than eighteen years, and uh, the issue of, of 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 land where people need to stay uh, is not only in Alexander, it's all over, especially in in Hauteng and some surrounding areas the 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 problem is it's one the the, the 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 systematic thing if you check how the township has been constructed you find only two or three roads that are coming in in the township all those kind of things uh, the thing is that they need to urbanize thing the government need to urbanize the whole system because people are moving from rural area coming to work to the cities. So where are they going to stay? They're going to stay is there the, the township, being populated. We can't really today you work up with ten people. Tomorrow you work up with 13, So you can't really manage them. So the best way you need to empower them where they are. That will be the very best solution. Thank you.
1: thanks very much for that. That conversation will be available as a podcast. It's now two o'clock. Let's get the very latest uh, with Uzi Lesaku.